I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to that text we had looked at in morning worship, that is Titus chapter 3, Titus and the third chapter. What Paul wrote in verse 3 of Titus 3 was true of Paul and it's true of us. But notice when we read it, he writes with the past tense. Titus 3.3, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving or enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But he does say we were, past tense, that's not us now. Well, why not? How not? Well, he says, verse 4, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Well, we're looking at this word, regeneration. And it could more literally be translated another genesis or a new beginning. And we saw in the previous hour that it is a radical transformation in the very core of one's being that's worked by the mighty power of God. The only other use of this word is speaking of that new heavens and new earth. When there's the elements melting with fervent heat and that new heavens and new earth, when God makes all things new, Jesus in Matthew 19 calls that the regeneration. Well, again, that's going to be a quite a radical transformation from what we see now, isn't it? Well, that's the same word that's used of this work that uh, God has wrought in us. It's called a washing because it's an internal moral cleansing, a changing of the heart, like as reflected in Ezekiel 36, taking out the old, putting in the new. It's also called a renewing uh, because it is a true change by the Holy Spirit's work, again, reflecting uh, Ezekiel 36, 27, the Holy Spirit so indwelling and causing us to walk in God's ways. Well, this work is so real and so radical, we pointed out that scripture describes it in our three very powerful uh, metaphors or word pictures. It's uh, as a, another genesis, it, it is likened to a new creation of God's image being restored. But then also, and especially perhaps the most common picture, is that of a new birth. Uh, you must be born again. Well, that's what it is, born of the Spirit, given a new life and a new heart, a new nature, and the like, as the sovereign act of God's Spirit, there in John chapter 3, verse 8, uh, just like the wind, men can't control the wind, well, they can't control, it's the sovereign act of God. But then also, regeneration is described as a resurrection from the dead, a spiritual death. We've seen that in our call to worship in John chapter 5. We see it in Ephesians 2, uh, Colossians 2, and elsewhere. First uh, John 3, we have passed from life to death. And that's not a process, but rather it's the impartation of spiritual life by the Holy Spirit, by God's mighty work, just as much as Resurrection Day will be people coming out of the graves. Well, just as surely, John chapter 5, verse 25, that's what happened to us being raised from spiritual death. And all of these word pictures emphasize 
The salvation is not simply some decision that we made, not some aisle that we walked or anything that we ourselves did. It's all of grace. It's entirely uh, God's doing and it's entirely indispensable because without it, we cannot see the kingdom. We cannot enter the kingdom. You must be born again. Well, as we return to this subject, I want to begin with this question. Which comes first? Regeneration or faith? Does the sinner believe on Christ so as to be born again? Or does he believe because he's been born again? Now, you could ask the average evangelical in our day uh, this question and you'd likely be told, no, you, you must believe first. That's how you get born again by believing that faith causes that new birth, not vice versa. But brother, that's not what we find in scripture. Please come to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. In verse 1 we read these words, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who uh, be God also loves him who is begotten of him. But it's those opening words. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. How are we to understand these words? Believe so as to be born of God or believe because we're born of God. Well, I want to compare this with similar statements in this letter, and then we'll see what exactly what he means. Come down to verse 4 of this very chapter. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is a victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Does that mean I get born of God by overcoming the world? Or I overcome the world because I'm born of God? Being born again is the cause. Or... Come back to uh, chapter 2, verse 29. 1 John 2, 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Same kind of construction. So, I get born of God by practicing righteousness, or practicing righteousness is the fruit of the new birth, of being born of God. One more example. Come to John 4, 7. 1 John, rather, 4, 7. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love's of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So, do I get born of God by loving others? Or is my loving others the result of having been born of God? Well, in each of these cases, it's obvious. No, this is talking about the result. And therefore, here in 1 John 5, 1, when we read... Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. He's not saying, if you believe, then you'll be born again. He's saying, here's the result of being born again, that you do believe. It's not a means of getting born again, but it's the fruit of having been born again. And this, of course, fits with what we find elsewhere when Scripture speaks of faith being the gift of of God, like in Philippians one twenty nine, you is given to believe, or Second uh, Peter one one, you have obtained or received like precious faith. So when sinners are born of God, they believe on Jesus Christ as the evidence and expression of the new birth. 
Well, as we continue to consider then the Bible's teaching on regeneration, I want to do so under three heads, or I guess I could say three questions. And the first is this. How does God give the new birth? How does God raise dead sinners to spiritual life? Now, admittedly, from John 3, uh, 8, there's something mysterious. It's, it's like the, the working of the Holy, the Holy Spirit. It's like the working of the wind. You know, you, you see the results of it, but you don't necessarily see the wind doing, uh, the wind itself doing its thing. Well, in that sense, there's, there's a, a bit of mystery about the new birth. It's, it's going on in the invisible realm, the spiritual realm. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But one fact is clear. Regeneration, the new birth, it happens by the exertion of God's great power. I referred earlier to Matthew 19 when the disciples said, who can be saved? And the words of our Lord, with men it's impossible. I'm glad he did not stop there. But with God all things are possible, meaning even this, the salvation of sinners. It's not something man can do. Nothing less than omnipotence can do such a work of transformation. Uh, again, those three word pictures all underscore this creation, a uh, birth, resurrection. And the point of these is they all speak of God's direct activity. Right? Even the birth of a child is the providence of God. He's the one who's giving the fruit of the womb, Psalm 127. But certainly with creation and come resurrection day, well, that's God's direct activity. And, and so it is. The new birth is unaided by us. It's the direct, it's the immediate work of God on the heart and soul of the sinner. That's what we can say about regeneration. Now, having said that, though, it must be emphasized that in the full execution of this work, God uses means. He does. He employs means. Please come to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Talking about the good gifts of God. Here's one especially in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth, gave us a new birth, by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Of his own will, he gave us the new, he brought us forth, he begot us. And how did he do so? By the word of truth. It was the gospel. Uh, here in verse 21 it speaks of it being implanted but the idea is, is that uh, the gospel became the power of God unto salvation this is that connection between effectual calling and regeneration remember I mentioned earlier in our confession chapter 10 on effectual calling it doesn't mention regeneration as a separate chapter because it treated this as the word comes with power well that's the effectual call but that's also then the means by which God gives the new birth come to 1 Peter Chapter 1 and verse 23. 1 Peter 1, 23. Here the word is likened to a seed, that which causes human descent. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Uh, he goes on to say at the end of verse 25, now this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. The gospel was heard. It was this glorious good news of Christ, uh, him crucified and now living to save sinners. As that gospel was proclaimed, you were effectually drawn uh, to, to Christ. And then there's this work of regeneration. It's like that seed the new birth is entirely God's work, and he does that work by this means, not bypassing the mind, just like we saw in effectual calling, 
but rather the gospel truth coming. Now, that means for any non-Christian who might say, well, how, how can I be born again? I mean, especially since it's, it's of his will that he gives the new birth. We see it here, we see it elsewhere. How, how can I be born again? Well, here's what you can do. Hear God's word. Hear the gospel. Recognize what it is. This is not some kind of human philosophy. or that. This is the very word of God by which he saves sinners. And he sends forth that word with power by the Holy Spirit. And it's, again, not a dead philosophy, but it's something living and, and powerful. And therefore, it does mean for the unconverted to hear it, to believe it in a humble uh, way, in utter dependence, and even cry out, desperate, Lord, please give me uh, everlasting life in Jesus Christ. Now, for us as Christians, I would point out that the context of James 1 and 1 Peter 1 Though it's referring to, hey, the word came as that seed or that God begot us by the word. It's not just saying, okay, now we're done with it. Because in both of those contexts, it's calling us, now you continue to hear that. Look what the word did. Look what God did by his word in giving you new life. It's that same word that now is proclaimed that you're to hear and receive. And by which God still works in us uh, uh, effectively. And those who believe. So... Again, what reason to keep hearing, to take in the word of God. Look what he's already done. Well, what can I expect him still to do? Well, there's the first question. How does God do this? But now secondly, why does God give the new birth? Why does he regenerate? Now, there are two answers, and we really touched on the first already uh, in the previous hour. God must give a new birth, must raise to spiritual life, Uh, a great work within for anyone to have even the first stirrings of spiritual life. We're dead. Lazarus lay in that tomb with no stirrings whatsoever. It took Christ commanding and him coming forth. Men by nature, Ephesians 2 and elsewhere, they're dead in sin. They're spiritually insensitive, uh, incapacitated. They have no ability uh, you must be born again. You can't enter the kingdom. You can't even see the kingdom. No, uh, no ability to perceive. Men by nature, they're as Paul described. The carnal mind is hostile against God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The only hope is that which he goes on to describe in verse 9. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Man's state in sin is such that nothing less than this mighty work of God will do. That's, we've considered that answer already. But the aim of regeneration goes beyond our initial quickening uh, of dead sinners. In giving life, in making us new creatures, God's design is to equip us to live with him and for him, both here and forever. It's the impartation of life so that we will live. It's a spiritual quickening so that we will live by the Holy Spirit. Not only making us different from the world initially when new life was given us, but making sure that we can and will continue to be different from the world. To live as we ought. Please come to Ephesians chapter 2. We looked at this in the previous hour. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. In this very connection of 
raising us from that spiritual death as we see in the early part of this chapter. We then read verse 10 of Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God's appointed the works and by the way he has equipped us to do those good works by uh, this regeneration. Uh, were his workmanship. He did that and did it in such a way as to equip us. Just like going back to Genesis chapter 1, how God made Adam and Eve in his image. Well, in so doing, he equipped them with what they needed to live for him, to communicate with him, to see his glory, etc. Well, that was so not only then, but in the recreation, the restoring of God's image in us, well, it's that same thing, that God equips us for those good works that he has prepared. And that's what we find even here later in Ephesians chapter 4. We've seen in verse 24 how now the new man was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what we're told in verse 24. But then beginning at verse 25 and following, we've got this kind of don't do this but do this therefore put away lying uh, and speak the truth to one another Uh, be angry do not sin don't give place to the devil let him who steal steal no longer Uh, uh, let no corrupt word proceed out of mouth but that which is good for edifying you see that look you've been restored in God's image now live it in these various ways not lying not stealing and so forth but doing the very opposite because you've been equipped to live that way you see the same thing over in Colossians chapter 3 where there he's talking about how we have put on the new man uh, in Colossians chapter 3 start with verse 8 but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So here you are, you're this new creature, God's image restored. Uh, and then notice what he says in that connection, talks about Christ being our all Uh, so forth but verse 12 therefore as the elect of God holy and beloved put on tender mercies kindness humility meekness long suffering bearing with one another etc what's he saying the image is restored so that you can now live as you ought put on these things this is you you're not what you once were old man's gone you're new man that regeneration has equipped you to live the Christian life to put on these virtues not going after those other things or perhaps a better statement clearer statement of it is in 1st John chapter 3 please come there 1st John chapter 3 words of verse 9 which could be perplexing 1st John 3 9 whoever has been born of God does not sin for his that is God's seed remains in him And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, admittedly, this is a difficult verse, uh, but at least it emphasizes the point uh, of the long-term effect of regeneration. Now, let me say, it's obvious that John is not here saying Christians never sin. Whatever you do with this, because he just got through saying back in chapter 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we're lying. And then he says, if anyone sin, we, me and you, have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Well, so he's not saying by this, so Christians are born again and therefore they never sin. Okay, but what does he mean? Well, some understand that uh, certain kinds of sin, in particular apostasy, 
those who are born of God, they will not commit the sin of apostasy. That fits with Hebrews 6. Or it could more speak of the practice of sin. That is to say the idea of just sinning with abandon, uh, habitually, uh, characteristically, and going on and on in that course. And that would fit with the context. Verse 7, he talks about uh, uh, practicing. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So the idea of by habit and constant inclination not going on in unrighteousness in ways of sin but rather in righteousness well either way whether you want to understand it as the practice of sin or you want to understand it the, the uh, apostasy doesn't matter what is clear it speaks of the new birth as a change in our lives in our hearts that has this lasting effect something quite ongoing a new life a new nature and therefore when Christians sin it's against their habitual inclination and purpose of heart. Dear brother, dear sister, I, I say without uh, fear of contradiction that when you read through Romans 7, you can very well relate. The good I would, I don't do. The evil that I would not, that I do. It's the things I hate that I do. Well, it admits then that we still have problems with remaining corruption. But we, like Paul, can say, that's not me, that's sin in me. That's not my heart, Lord. You know, those things I hate. I don't want those things. So therefore, we cannot persist in obvious overt sin with abandon. Uh, habitually, uh, as a lifestyle. And that's what John is here telling us. In 1 John 5. It's because God's seed remains in us. That work he began at our new birth. Well it's got this lasting benefit. That what happened then. It continues to be active. The principle of life now. That controls life. So the point is. When God gives the new birth. When he gives that spiritual resurrection. It is with a view to this ongoing or this long-range design in the Christian life. A life that will be lived because we are thus enabled to live it with this new faculty, this new heart, and so forth for it. And that really answers the third question. How can it be known or recognized when God does this great work when God gives the new birth remember those words of John 3 8 it's like the wind you don't really see the wind you see the effects the results of the wind and so is everyone born of God born of the spirit it's the Holy Spirit doing the work but you don't see the Holy Spirit but you do see just like you know you go out on a windy day and you see these trees that are doing this number right they're uh, swaying well, you can't say, I see the wind. No, you don't. It's, but you do see the effects of it. You know it's windy because look what's going on. Well, that's what John 3, 8 is telling us about the new birth. Yeah, it's not like you see some visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit, except this. You see the results. It's him at work. And so uh, the new birth, then, it will of necessity show itself. Those born again, those raised from spiritual death, they live. They do. The first evidence is that which we've already seen 
from 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. They believe, let me read that for you again. 1 John chapter 5 verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Here's what happens. You're born again and you believe. Uh, believe in God's truth. Believe on, in the gospel. They embrace Christ by faith. And this happens immediately. You know, it's the instantaneous expression of regeneration. That is, there's no such thing as, an, as a regenerate unbeliever. You can't drive a, a wedge here. Okay, now you're born again, and then six months later you'll believe. No, it's boom. Even as a, a baby's born, it breathes. Well, when a sinner is born again, he believes. But that's not the only thing. That's not the only evidence of the new birth or outworking of the new birth. John, throughout this letter, especially emphasizes the visible effects of the new birth. We've already seen some of these, just like 1 John 3, 9. Uh, those who are born of God, they cannot persist in sin with abandon. Uh, they cannot have that as a chosen lifestyle, which they go on and on and on in. Rather, those born of him, 2.29, they practice righteousness habitually, persistently not without exception but that is their chosen and persistent lifestyle that's why john can say here's how we know we know him we keep his commandments we practice righteousness that's the result of the new birth or here's how we know we pass from death to life we love the brethren that's what christians is the evidence and the outworking of that new heart that new birth that he gives four seven says the same thing those who love the brethren they're born of god they know god or even in first john five about uh, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, which simply means that with the new birth, it makes us very unlike the world. That we're not squeezed into its mold. Uh, we're not, uh, in fact, Jesus said that uh, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. We're not ruled by the world. As one writer put it, the new birth gives us a new unworldly nature and a strength which conquers the world. Not sinless, but a disposition that wants to be sinless, even tries to be sinless. Why is that? Well, because born of God. It will be evident. And this is how regeneration then is, is recognized, and that in itself furnishes a couple of important lessons for us. Have you ever heard of the lordship controversy? You ever heard of that lordship controversy? Basically, it's those who say, well, you have Jesus as Savior, but you don't have to have him as Lord. That you can do later, whenever, right? He just has to be your Savior, not your Lord. Because they say, well, if you're saying Jesus must be Lord uh, of all, or he's not Lord at all, well, that means then you're working for your salvation or something. That's the argument of it. You ever heard of the, quote, carnal Christian heresy? You ever heard of that, carnal Christian heresy? Well, I believe, but really, I don't have to live like it. I, I, I know the truth. I've believed on Jesus, and, and therefore, I'm a Christian. I'm just carnal, a carnal Christian. And uh, kind of a mishandling of 1 Corinthians 3, you're carnal, and as if my whole life, no difference between them and, and uh, uh, the ungodly. These are false teachings that are, are not uncommon uh, amongst professing Christians. Well, I would say that what we've considered blows those heresies out of the water. Does this fit with what we've seen about regeneration? About those who uh, uh, 
Here's how we know we know him. We keep his commandments. Those who say, I know him and don't keep his commandments are lying. Truth is not in them. Those who are born of God, they practice righteousness. So what's the problem with these heresies? Well, you can have Jesus Savior, just oh, Lord, you don't have to worry about how you live. A carnal Christian, you know, you've believed, you've professed faith, but it doesn't matter how you live. It's, well, it's not that, well, we're living so we'll get saved, but we're saved and therefore you will live. Not sinless, but certainly it makes a difference. What, how does this teaching, these, both of these errors, which are really kind of one and the same, how does that fit with what we've seen here about regeneration? About that new heart, about that new nature, about the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. A heart that wants to please God, that loves God, uh, uh, to obey Him as the expression of that love. See, that's the problem with these teachings, is they overlook the, what the Bible teaches about regeneration, that radical transformation in the heart by God's power. And again, I know... Though true Christians uh, do sin, though they may act very inconsistently with what God's grace has wrought in them, they are still different from the world. That new nature, that spiritual life will at least in some ways evidence itself even though there is remaining corruption. Again, as uh, Paul in Romans 7, I would do good. I hate those things I do. There's not a love for sin, uh, and at least in time, there will be repentance. Our confession, I thought about quoting that, but it talks, that's one of the distinctions. But in due course, they do repent. So they can say, here's how we know we know him. We keep his commandments. Anyone says, I know him, doesn't keep his commandments. He's a liar. The truth is not in him. Not that we keep them perfectly or without disruption, but genuinely. As we see here in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Well, how is it with you? What evidence of spiritual life in your life? You believe on Christ, looking only to him? Is there that desire to please God? That's no burden. That's your burden is that you fail to. Is there that overcoming the world? You're not of it. You've been made to differ from it. If clearly these things do not mark you, there's not that love for the brethren. If these things do not mark you, see why not. Hear the words that Jesus said to that very religious man, Nicodemus. You must be born again. You may be religious, but see your need. You don't have real spiritual life. See that you're shut up to God for mercy. But see that God is merciful. And he saves all kinds of sinners. See his willingness. He sent his son into this world to save sinners. Well then go to Christ. Cry out to him. Lord have mercy on a sinner like me. Well there's the first lesson. Second thing. If or when we do see these things in our life. Again though not perfectly. What does that say? So when we see that we do obey God, because that's not a burden. We love him. We want to obey him. When we're grieved by sin and not obedience, how do you explain that about yourself? 
Especially, I mean, since, come on, in me that is in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. That was Paul's testimony. Uh, surely we wouldn't say we're better than Paul. How, how do you explain yourself? Well, here's how you explain yourself. Those who are born of God do believe on Christ. Those who are born of God do overcome the world. Why did John pen these words? What he keeps telling us here about uh, the new birth. Why, why did he write all of this? Well, he tells us in verse 13 of 1 John 5. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. In other words, this is designed for your assurance. Well, then recognize it. When you see that uh, love for God, when you see that love for the brethren, when you see that practicing righteousness and, and not grieved by obedience, but grieved by sin, recognize it's the Holy Spirit. It's the new birth. It's a spiritual life. You've been raised from death. And therefore, be assured. When you can see that practice of righteousness, even when it's swimming against the tide of this world and, and uh, even walking over your own remaining corruption, see why. You're born of God. That's why. Well, then embrace this God-given assurance of his work and thank him for it. Love him for it. But see something else in that connection. See how powerful and pervasive is this work within. See uh, this life that you now have uh, and recognize that in it you have power to live. You're born again. Those who are born of spirit, they're, they're spirit. You're not just what you were from your first birth. We're totally new creatures. You've been equipped with the necessary faculties to live the Christian life life a new heart a new nature uh, you're not in the flesh but in the spirit if so be that the spirit dwells in you you are god's workmanship created in christ for those good works that he has appointed and you are complete in christ the very power that raised christ from the dead is at work in you ephesians 1 19 and following that raised you from the dead that's still at work in you then you've been given the Holy Spirit who indwells you. And you've got then the sufficiency of Christ's grace, wave after wave. Those evidences that we see of the new birth, rather we must also see their proof that we've got a lot going for us. That we're not out to make bricks without straw, but rather God equips. He's already given you spiritual life. It's not only proof uh, of, of what he's done, but you're fully equipped to now live for Christ and with Christ. And so God actually reasons with us from his word in appealing to these things, like uh, chapter 2 about your, uh, uh, his workmanship in Christ Jesus, therefore get on living this way, uh, or Colossians 3 the same. Here, you're restored in God's image restored in you, then get on putting on these graces, because you can so, see what we are by regeneration. And therefore, when sin comes, when temptation to sin comes, when you're assaulted by the flesh or the devil, say, no, that's, that's not me. That's not the real me. I've been born again. I can't go that way. So live for him, live with him. Who's called you to this, who's fitted you to that kind of life. Or to put it another way, 
by God's grace, you have spiritual life. Well then, by God's grace, live it. Live it. And you can, by God's grace. Therefore, have much to do with Christ, living with him, for him, in union with him. My God, help us so to live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your great grace, your kindness, your love to us, and giving us that renewing, that regeneration, washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would help us to then live consistently with this as the expression of our love to you. We thank you that you have made us to differ from what we were by nature, from what the world is. Well, thou then please grant that we would be very mindful of these things. We should see in it your love for us. We should also see how you have fully equipped us, Lord, to live as image bearers of the true and living God. Help us by your grace. Help us by your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.